Welcome to Truly Fit. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast, where we interview experts in fitness and health to expand our wisdom and wealth. I am your host, Steve Washuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Heather Hausenblast. She is a PhD in health psychology and kinesiology. She's a researcher, a professor, a keynote speaker, and the CEO of Wellness Discovery Labs. Throughout her career, she has studied, I guess you would say, the crossover between the psychological and the physical how exercise improves our mood, why people do or don't exercise, and other key behaviors that make us healthy or not. Today, we discuss why education isn't enough to keep people healthy, the benefits of journaling, how social connections are tied to health, and so much more. You can find everything about Heather at wellnessdiscoverylabs.com. With no further ado, here's Heather and I. Heather, thank you so much for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. Why don't you give my listeners and audience a little uh, background on who you are and what it is that you do in the health and fitness community? Yeah, thanks. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. really enjoy listening to your podcast. And kind of the, the short version is I, I have a PhD in health psychology and kinesiology. And over the course of course of my career, I've really studied the basically the psychological effects of our health behaviors, a large part how exercise you know improves or affects our mood why people don't exercise how we can get them to exercise more can they become you know excessive exercise exercise too much and i also take a look at other behaviors that really play a key role in what makes us healthy or not for example you know sleep you know and our stress and our diet and how they're how they're all related and i study kind of the science behind that and over the course of my career as a researcher and a professor, I've spent a lot of time trying to te- tease out, you know, why it's so difficult for us to be healthy and what we can do, you know, regarding regarding our health behaviors. Before we get into those specifics, let's talk a little bit more about you. How did you fall into that? I know typically people will, uh, you know, you choose a path, an educational path, but eventually you have to, you know, there's a crossroad somewhere where you decide to go one route rather than the other. What led you down this path? You know, it's, it's interesting. I was always really active and athletic and played a lot of sports uh, as a kid and just loved psychology. So as an undergraduate, uh, that was my degree. It was in psychology. And near the end of it, I, I knew in my undergrad, I wanted to do I wanted to do more. And it was really at the cusp of kind of the, um, I'm going to date myself now, but kind of the aerobics, you know, the, the fitness boom. And it, as that was occurring, it was really, we were having really for the first time, this pandemic of people not moving enough. And we were finally beginning to see that this was really, really bad for our health. And we were on the cusp kind of of the obesity um, epidemic. So it really got me interested in in trying to understand why something that is so good for us, why do most people not do it? So from a standpoint of the physiology, it was really, really clear that moving, you know, and exercise is one of the best things we can do for overall health. But people just, knowledge is not enough, right? Mm, Just knowing that something is good for you isn't going to change people's behavior. And that's where the the psychology comes into play. And that's what fascinated me to to really to try to understand kind of the human behavior behind this and why people aren't doing something that is so good for them. So then, you know, to to continue to, to study it, it's really a specialized field. And when I got into it, it was a really young field. And I was lucky to be able to get into a uh, PhD program where I could focus on, you know, what we called at this point, you know, the psychology of exercise or exercise psychology. And then we would branch, began to branch out in other behaviors. So that's really, you know, how, how I came into it. And, and I, I just love the, love the science of it. I've always been someone who's been fascinated with, with human behavior and watching people and trying to understand why people do certain things or don't do, don't do other things. And one of the things that, um, 
kind of drove me is I wanted to know what the science actually says, you know, says about this stuff, just not your intuition, you know, about it. Sure. And I think it's really good on you, though, to be working more in the general population sense. When I hear about the mixture between, let's say, sports and psychology and these sorts of things, I always think about how athletes get that 1% better, right? That's what you think about, like, oh, there's a sports psychologist or there's somebody who's looking about psychology and fitness and health, and they want to get people that 1% better. But you know, the, the elites, but how do you get the general population to actually care about themselves and start to form those habits? And I know you write about that. Let's just dive right into that. Talk about why everybody knows I need to be healthier. I need to eat this. I need to do this. And everyone now in 2023 is starting to go down that journey of starting healthier habits. How do we do that so that they stick? Right. And, and if I knew, you know, the one thing that could get people to stick to something, you know, I would be extremely rich. And, and our challenge is, is, you know, we're people and people are, are complex. We're creatures of habit, but unfortunately we often have the, the wrong habits and we don't set ourselves up for success. And we try just to do too much all at once. Like think about now where we're kind of hitting about the middle of January. So I would venture a guess that many people that are listening probably set New Year's resolutions. And the question is how many, you know, have really, have really stuck to them. Oftentimes we just try to do too much at all at once. And it's oftentimes these just small little habit changes that if you stick to for a couple months, then it will actually become that habit. And then you can add something else onto it. I tell people, you know, if you want to, and you know, one of the common, you know, New Year's resolutions that people say are, I want to lose weight. You know, I want to exercise, you know, I want to exercise more and I want to eat healthy. Those are kind of the, the, the top three and somebody will come in and then try to just completely change their entire diet. Yeah. And it's just not, it's just not realistic for people to really be for, for a long term sticking to a really um, strict diet. I often tell people, why don't you add something healthy to your diet as opposed to taking something away because then you will not begin to feel, you know, feel deprived. Yeah, that addition by subtraction or subtraction by addition uh, seems to be something that a lot of really good, let's say, registered dietitians and nutritionists say. You start to add the healthy food in and then you're not going to be as full. So then you're less likely to eat that unhealthy food. And I, I could, you know, the, I give my clients the same advice. Don't go zero to 60. You wouldn't do that in any other area of your life. If you weren't saving money, you wouldn't start saying, I'm going to take my entire paycheck and put it to my savings account. No, you'd save 5%, you'd save 10% and then you'd work up and then start to save more. So that's, that is a great point. Now you talk a lot about a, a journaling. I, I can tell you that I don't journal. I've heard from a very successful people. It's an important part of their day. How do you start the process of journaling? How does one sit down? You just buy a journal and start writing. Is there at least a little bit of a methodology in how one does this? You know what? And, and that's one of the, I think the beauties of, of journaling is there's no one set way to do it. You need to, to pick what's going to work for you. For some people, it may be actually using their, you know, using their, um, you know, their cell phone and mm -hmm. actually, you know, journaling and typing on there. There's many different apps that people can get, but you want to get something that's going to um, help you and pick what you want to focus on. Sometimes people try to be extremely broad and there's many different types of journaling. Sometimes it's just what we call like the free free writing where you just open up, you know, a journal and you'll literally just start to write your thoughts and your feelings down. And, and the science is pretty clear. Just actually doing that is therapeutic and has, um, has health benefits, but there's a lot of journals out there that we call are guided or prompted journals. And you mm. could, you know, go and buy many of these and they will focus on different, different kind of health aspects that people want to want to focus on. So for example, there's, there's food journaling where, um, and you can Google and, and find a food journal where you actually will track very simply what you've eaten, let's say for breakfast, lunch, dinner, your snacks, how you've, you know, how you felt about it. 
And the sole fact of just doing that and just tracking what you're eating tends to lead to weight loss. There's been some fascinating studies showing that if that's the only thing that people do and they don't even think that they're changing what they're eating, the fact of them, you know, cognitively writing down what they're what they're eating actually then creates this awareness and leads to leads to behavior change. So there's food journaling. What's really, really popular right now is gratitude journaling and you know expressing you know gratitude for a couple things every day and that's as simple as waking up in the morning and writing down three things or one thing that you're that you're thankful for you could do it in the morning you could do it at lunch in the evening whatever you want but we do know that the that the um kind of this process of expressing gratitude actually improves people's behavior and, and actually makes them healthier and more productive over the course of the day. So it, I think for people, it's really taking a look at what are their health goals. Maybe they want to improve their sleep. So they want to begin to maybe track their, you know, track their sleep when they go to bed. What is their nighttime routine? How many times do they wake up in the morning? And then over time, they can begin to see a pattern and say, well, if I drink, you know, coffee at 4 p.m., then that's going to throw off my nighttime sleep. So there's many, you know, there's many different things you can, you know, journal about your, your exercise. So it's really picking something that you, that you want to focus on and begin to do it. And what I encourage people to do to set themselves up for success is try to pick a specific time during the day that you're going to be able to going to be able to do it where you have a couple of minutes. Maybe it's first thing in the morning. Maybe it's right before you, right before you go to bed. And many people will say, well, how long do I need to do this before it becomes a habit? And the science has shown that it's around, around, um, around two months time. If you're to do it consistently, then it will become a habit, but there's big variability because everybody, we're all different and unique. So it can range from anywhere for some people. If they do it consistently in journal for about 15 days, it becomes a habit. Other people, it takes over 250 days. So the point is you really want to stick to it. And then people say, well, I forgot a day or I forgot two days to, to do it. I might as well forget it and not start until, you know, next January 1st. I tell people, no, if you miss a day or two or three, that's fine. You want to just pick back up when you, when you left off, try to set yourself up for success and pick something small that you want to journal about. There were so many great points that I want to come back to sort of the adherence factor and how you talked about you should make sure that you're journaling in the way that's best for you. If you're doing something that feels like a task, you're likely to let it go and not do it anymore, right? So mm -hmm. by the fact that you make the journaling process somewhat fun or easy for you or likable, you're more likely to adhere you're more, and then if you're more likely to adhere, you're more likely to be consistent. If you're more likely to be consistent, you're more likely to pick up that habit. So you don't want to be the person who says, okay, I'm going to make this a task. I hate this, but I'm going to do this. Find a way in which journaling is fun for you. And then also to go back to what you said before, we have a, uh, an amnesia, natural amnesia for lack of a better term, and we forget what we ate, just like we forget what we spent. So, you know, a financial planner will tell you the same thing as like a registered dietitian. Unless you write down your food, you're going to think, oh, this is what I ate on Monday. But there's probably one or two things that you forgot about. So that's another really good reason to write things down just so that we can't really lie to ourselves and we have an accurate depiction of what we've been eating or exercising what we've been doing. Yeah, it's an excellent point. We tend to underestimate how much we actually we actually eat so it's really important you know when you start this you know food drilling process to try to be as accurate you know accurate as possible and if you do it right after you eat a meal it's going to be a lot better than if you wait till the next day to try to remember what you ate the what you ate the day before journaling seems to be something that is instilled in us when we're really young uh, i don't know a person who hasn't journaled at some point between the ages of like six and ten and then it just falls off 
Uh, I don't know exactly why that is, where maybe we're busy or it becomes like the not cool thing to do, but do you think the kids should just start journaling and the parents should kind of push it and just let them continue their journaling process throughout life? I think that's a great point, and I think it's a great activity that parents can do with their with their kids. Um, it only takes a couple minutes, you know, a couple minutes a day to do it, and they can both journal. Um, and it's difficult, you know, as your kids get older, I have, you know, my, my oldest, who's now 21, a couple years ago, I wanted him to keep track of, of what he was eating. Cause he, he, um, he has Crohn's disease. And of course he wasn't going to do it. There was no way. So I did it for him. So as a parent, I was tracking everything that he was eating so that I could begin to see kind of signs and symptoms of, you know, if he ate something, what, what would then, what would then happen? But you know, what we do as kids sticks with us. So, uh, you know, with parents out there that are listening, if you can get your kids to start doing this as a healthy habit when they're young, it'll probably track with them because our health behaviors track. So what I mean by that is if if you're, uh, you know, in, in preschool or elementary school and you're playing sports and you're exercising, that's probably going to stick with you into high school and then also into adult into adulthood. So as parents, what we want to do is ingrain as many healthy behaviors as we can, you know, with our kids, knowing that it's going to stick with them. And one of the best things for, for parents is that they're positive role models, because we do know, for example, that um, parents who eat healthy, their kids are more likely to eat healthy. Parents who exercise, their kids are more likely to exercise. Same thing with journaling as well. So it's kind of being that positive role model. So if you're a parent out there and you think, oh, I really don't want to do it. Well, think about it that you're helping your kids out as well and teaching them some lifelong, hopefully some lifelong health skills. Speaking about parenting, uh, I am a relatively new parent of my daughter's 18 months. Oh, and congratulations. Something that happens to new parents is it's really difficult to keep your social connections. They kind of change over time, whether you're waiting to maybe be friends with the parents of the kids that your daughter or son is going to be friends with, whether it is that you have friends that maybe uh, don't have kids so that your lifestyles are different, but you start to lose those social connections. I know you write about the importance of happiness interconnected, and a, I'm sure there's a causation, not just a correlation with uh, social connections and why they're important. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, we, we tend to think, you know, of, um, of being healthy, coming down to like what we eat, how much we sleep, you know, and, and how much we move. But one of the most important things for overall health are what we call our social connections. So people... Um, your close, let's say your close family and friends, but it also can be acquaintances that you, the, that you meet during the day. Like, let's say it's the person who, who makes your coffee every day at, you know, the Starbucks or a, a colleague that maybe you see passing, passing through the hall. And we're, we're social beings and we need to be socially connected. It's really clear that people who feel lonely and feel socially isolated, it's one of the, the worst things for their overall health. So to put it into perspective, an interesting study kind of equated finding that um, being socially isolated and lonely had the same health effect as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So mm. if that can kind of put it in put it in perspective, and some studies have found that people who report that they're socially um, isolated and lonely tend to live upwards of eight years less than somebody than someone who is not. So it's one of these things in our life, like our social relationships change over time, right? When we're, we're kids, it's easy. We're, we're in school and we've got our friends. And as we get older, it, it becomes different, right? Maybe it's it's your work friends. Maybe you're hanging out more with your kids, but you're in a tough time, right? With a, with a toddler and it takes an extreme, you know, an extreme amount of time. And what often will happen is that your, your kids, um, you know, their friends, 
parents then become your friends because that's who you end up you end up hanging out with and kind of knowing that you know your friend groups change over time but knowing how important it is to how important it is to to foster them and know that they play an important role in in our overall health i think there's a lot of young people now who think that too many social connections sort of drains their battery for lack of a better term right they have a certain amount of bandwidth that they can give out and if they have too much going on, they have too many friends, they have too many parents, they have to go visit these people, they have to do this, that is sort of exhausting. But I guess what they don't think about sort of maybe like a cognitive dissonance thing is they're like, uh, yeah, I really want to just be home doing nothing, watching TV, doing this. But it sort of sets a downward spiral where you continue to find reasons to not go out, to not do things. And then you find yourself depressed and do that. So like, do you, do you think it's just a like a sign of the times because we have so much more TV and Netflix and all these things active that people are just less likely to build these social connections. Well, I think we have this, you know, false belief that, um, you know, TV and, and social media automatically equals social connections. Mm. And we do know that the more time that somebody spends on, on social media, you know, the, the less healthy they are. And the more um, socially isolated they are, not to say that it doesn't play a role and it's not, you know, it's not important, but it's not the end all be all for, for our overall health. And not everybody is this extreme extrovert life of the party. And, and that is, that is a okay, you know, to be socially connected doesn't mean that you need to go to, you know, um, you know, a bar and, and stay out there, you know, until two in the morning and talk to everybody that you see, you can be socially connected with just one, with just one close, you know, with one close person. And maybe that's talking to them on the phone or seeing them, you know, seeing them a couple times, a couple times a week. So people need to do what is going to, you know, what is going to work for, for them but to know that even like these casual connections and just saying hi to someone if you're out like let's say walking you know walking your dog and stuff those are social connections as well we are social beings and we do need them but know kind of what what people's limits you know limits are as well as well for them and to try to be around people that are going to foster positive positive things for you for example we know that if your three or four closest friends are overweight and, and unhealthy, there's a very good chance that you're going to be going to be as well. So take a look at your close social circle. Take a look at what you, you know what your goals are, and say because oftentimes we'll hang around people that are very similar to us or what we aspire to, and that's really you know really important. So our social connections play such a huge role on our not only our overall longevity but also our our immediate health at that point in time. There are even applications out there now. I know for young moms who have trouble finding friends, I think I think it's called Peanut, where they can sort of match each other. It's, it's almost like a dating app, but like a friendship app. And that's how far we've gone from just being able to, you know, go to the local grocery store and start conversation with people. And now we have to use applications in order to do that. And I think it is going to be a really big problem moving forward. So I'm glad there's people like you who are taking this head on and saying, listen, this is really important part of our health that we're overlooking. And if we continue to overlook this, there might be bigger issues moving forward in the next 10 or 15 years. Yeah, I, I, I really do agree. We spend, um, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we love our phones, for example, and I know I do this as well. If I'm standing in line for something, the first thing I do is I pull out my phone and, you know, I don't know, scroll through social media or check my email or my text as opposed to talking to the person, you know, yeah. beside me in line, which is what I would have done, you know, five, five years ago. So as much as we, you know, love our phones, we do need to put them away and, and make time for social connections. I think about yesterday I was, I was lecturing at the university and as the students are coming in, 
the first thing they do, they find their seat, they sit down, they pull out their phone and they don't talk to anybody beside them. And I asked them at the beginning of the lecture, I said, how many of you guys know anybody in the class? And none of them knew anybody, but yet they're all in the same major because nobody takes the time to introduce themselves and, um, you know, and, and talk. And I said, you know, you're, we're going to put our phones away for, you know, you can put them away for the next hour and 15 minutes and we're going to actually interact with, with one another. And you can kind of see like the, oh my gosh, this is really what we're going to be doing. But it's really, it's, it's important, you know, it's important for us to do that. Yeah. Think about all the social skills I learned as a young kid having to, let's say, walk down the street, knock on the door of a friend, open the door and it's the parent. And I have to say, hey, Mrs. Johnson, can Mikey come out to play, right? Or even f call them on their landline and say, you know, by the way, if you do this, if no one's watching this right now, I have a uh, my pinky to my mouth and my other to my ear. Kids don't even know what this is anymore. They do this because they don't yeah. understand that a phone used to look like this. But you know, you just have to call the, the house line and if the sister, the older sister picked up or the father picked up, you'd have to present yourself you know, like, you know, like you were a friend of the family and talk to the father first and then ask to talk to, to your friend. They don't have to do that anymore, right? They're just instant messaging online. They're avoiding a lot of those social interactions. And I think uh, there will be a day of reckoning, for lack of a better term. And uh, I hope that the people find a way around this. And I think the research coming out, things like you're talking about, is, is probably going to ignite a spark under parents like myself to say, you know what, we need to change how our kid interacts because we don't want them falling down a, a, a spiral path of not only unhappiness, but unhealthiness. Yeah, I agree. You bring up some excellent points. One of the things I challenge people to do, when you're having dinner, put your phone away. Don't even have it on the table, even if it's turned upside down and you can't see it. There's nothing positive, even with the mere presence of having your phone, it's going to be negative, especially at meal times. So I challenge people, put your phones away during a yeah. meal. It only has to be 10, 10 minutes long and actually have conversations, you know, with people around the table, in particular, you know, your, your kids and your, your family members. Um, and it'll make a huge difference in, you know, how much, first of all, you enjoy the meal and then just, just connecting with people. Yeah, and you have a, I don't know, a 50-50 chance of whatever you're opening up not being a happy message. I was just on vacation, just got back from vacation from uh, Miami, and my wife happened to open up a message. She's a, she's a physician, and it was a message that she didn't want to see, but it was her fault. She was on vacation. Nobody needed her. She didn't need to open up that message, but then that you know could potentially ruin the next few hours of your vacation. So you know if you want to be present in the moment, which is a part of happiness— like not thinking about the future, not always thinking about the past, but being present in the moment, looking at your phone is not a great way. Yeah, you bring up an excellent point about being present. You know, the science is pretty clear that we tend, not tend, we are the, the happiest when we're present in, in the moment at the time, right? And not thinking about what happened in the past or what, what's in the future. So if people can try to make an effort to focus on, on what you're doing at that time, even if you're stuck in traffic, if you're you're focusing just on you know that time point and not thinking about something in the future, you tend to be happier. Are we happy because we're healthy, or are we healthy because we're happy? What comes first? <laughs> that, oh my gosh, that that's that's an interesting and, and tough question to to answer. Um, and it, it's interesting, right? Because there's certainly there certainly are they certainly are related, right? Yeah. Um, 
healthier people tend to be happier, happier people tend to be healthier. But the question is what comes first is really difficult, honestly, from a science perspective to to tease them, but they're, they're very much right. They're very much um, related. So we do know, for example, um, people that tend to um, be regular exercisers, let's say eat healthy and get, you know, get a good night's sleep, um, are also going to report, obviously, that they're, they're, they're happier, that they're more productive, that they're in a better mood during the day, that they're less stressed. So all of these things are, are so related, all of our behaviors. So think about it at night. If you don't get a good night's sleep, the next day, pretty much guarantees you're going to be in a worse mood. You're not going to be as, as productive. You're not going to eat as well. So it's all cut. It's all related and kind of this vicious, you know, vicious cycle. But I think for people to realize that, okay, I know I didn't get a good night's sleep, so I'm going to have to, you know, bring on my A game today to make sure that, you know, I try to eat as healthy as possible, you know, be productive, maybe take that nap, you know, and do those types of things that you need to set yourself up for success. And know that you're probably going to, um, you might be that day that you're probably would be more quick to yell at your kids, right? And just know, you know, and just know that coming into it and kind of being prepared for it. Yeah, I think people also have a, a really bad sense of their, I guess you would call it their baseline level or whatever their baseline is. They think they're at, they're operating at say 90 or hundred percent because they only know what they know, right? I've been sleeping six and a half hours a night, drinking the 300 milligrams of caffeine in the morning. And I think that is my normal because they're not doing the right things. They're not eating healthy. They're not sleeping nine hours. They're not having a little bit less caffeine in the morning. So they, they only know what they know for, you know, I hate, I sort of don't like that phrase, but you know, it is what it is. You only know what you know, but it is the truth. They only know what they know. And it's for me, a hard part is, and I'm sure a lot of personal trainers and people in the health and fitness industry is convincing the clients, you can feel better. You think, you think you're at optimal levels here, but you're not at optimal levels. And we have to kind of you have to understand that we, we're, we're going to get this engine running faster and more, more efficient if you just take a step back, build a healthy habit slow, and do the right things. Yeah, exactly. Excellent point. So tell me a little bit more. I want to go back to journaling because I'm really intrigued about this, this process here. I've never journaled before. Your, recommend, your recommendation for me, if I want to start journaling tomorrow and I tell you in advance that I am somebody who has no problem actually answering questions. I don't just need to do free thought. I can answer some questions. What are some of the things that outside of food, I don't have an issue with food, right? Outside of food, how do I just help myself become a calmer, better person? What are the questions I would ask myself in these journals? Yeah, you know what? What I would probably recommend is to, to keep what we call like a gratitude or, or a thanks journal. And you can literally just take out a piece of paper or any type of like, you know, um, journal like this, or it could be a guided journal that, that's, a, that's a gratitude journal. And typically what they'll um, state is like list one, one or three, you know, one, two, three things that you're grateful for. And it can be as simple as, you know, your, your morning cup of coffee, you know, by yourself or, you know, watching the sunrise or that you've got a good night's sleep or that you're going to, you know, you're thankful for, you know, a sunny day or your friends or whatever, whatever it may be. And it honestly, it seems so simplistic to to do that and and it and really it is but the health benefits of it tend to be quite you know quite impressive and that only takes a few minutes each each day to to do so i would almost start with 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 that because it's very simple very easy to do kind of pick a time during the day when you can when you can do it maybe it's while you're you know you're waiting for your morning cup of coffee to to get ready and you've got a couple minutes and that's when you do it and you kind of begin to get into get into that habit and believe it or not it kind of resets your day it kind of puts you in that positive you know mind frame when you're thinking about things that you know you're grateful for as opposed to you know things that are stressing you out or all the bad things you know that potentially 
did happen or, or could happen. Um, another one that for people who experience a lot of stress, I say, you know, I, write your worries away. So when you wake up in the morning, write out what you're stressed about and a couple of like little bullet points about what you can do to prepare for it. And the whole fact of doing that will, will put you in a better mind frame and get you better prepared for that. And then at the end of the day, kind of, you know, reflect on how, how, how stressed was I really? Let's say you have a big presentation that you have to do. Um, and then think back on what you did to, to help it out. Because we, we live in an environment where we're, we're, we're constantly stressed about different things. And that's okay because stress plays um, an important role in our overall health. But too much stress is not, is not good. So we need to prepare ourselves for the stress that we're going to experience in the day as well. That's great information. And people do tend to sort of repress and push down all of the anxiety instead of addressing it up front. And by writing it down, you have no choice but to see it on the paper, kind of read it. Let it get into your brain and say, let, let me deal with this yeah. here and now because I'm going to have to run into this in two hours or two days. Right. And, I, you know, when we're talking about journaling and I did say, you know, you can use your, you know, your phone or your, your device. We do know that the sole fact of like the, the old fashioned paper and pencil process of writing down is actually better for you um, than than typing or using you know using your using your phone and uh, there, there's a few reasons why but it, it provides deeper processing um, for us and you know we really think through what we're going to write more than if we're, we're, we're typing it out so I do encourage people to go back to the old-fashioned way of using you know a, a pen and, and paper if they can for journaling so you do research. It's part of what you do. Is there a particular research fact that you were just blown away, whether it's happiness specifically, whether it has to do with journaling or f social connections, any research fact that you thought, wow, I couldn't believe this? You know, it, it, it's interesting. You know, over the, the course of my career, I started out really focusing on, on exercise and how we needed exercise and it needed to be, you know, vigorous. We really needed to get our heart rate up to see, you know, all these types of positive benefits on, you know, on our mood and, and, and our sleep. And and uh, over the last about 15 years, and we've really seen kind of this, the, the shift that yes, movement is really important and exercise is really important, but our light activities that we, we do during the day and even the simple fact uh, of standing are important health behavior. So what I mean by that is most people don't enjoy going to the, you know, going to the gym and they, they don't do it. They don't like vigorous physical activity and then they feel like a failure because they haven't been able to do this. And what I tell people is, you know, the things that we do throughout the day, you know, the walking is extremely important. The light, you know, light activity and standing have significant health benefits for us. And one of the things that struck me most was, was fidgeting, these small movements that, um, that some of us do more than others tends to be looked at as a, as a negative behavior. Like maybe it's associated, for example, with not paying attention or with being with being bored and something that we shouldn't do because we should be sitting crisscross applesauce and being really, really still. But there's a fascinating kind of um, uh, research and it's scattered among many different disciplines. So it's hard to kind of pull it all together showing that fidgeting is actually a health behavior. There was one really interesting study, it was a longitudinal study that found that people who were classified as high fidgeters actually ended up living longer than people who were not. And there was actually fidgeting. People will burn significant amount of calories during the day. It can help people, you know, focus and and pay attention as, as well. And it's and it's a type of movement. So I think we villainize fidgeting and fidgeting, mm -hmm. I, I do really believe is an important type of, you know, an important type of movement that we do that can have a lot of lot of health benefits associated with it. 
I also think, uh, to go back to your first point, we conflate health and vanity. I talk about this a lot. So people say, I don't like to go to the gym. Well, you know, a lot of the gym stuff could be purely vanity based. People say, I don't look good. I don't feel good. That doesn't mean you're not healthy, right? If we check your, your, your lipid panels and your liver enzymes and all, and all the lab stats, you might be as, as healthier than the guy who goes to the gym every single day, but he has big biceps. So you assume that he's healthier. So I think, you know, that's sort of what I push is not to conflate health and vanity necessarily. You can go on walks every single day and eat healthy and be healthier than the guy who's lifting every day, but also not taking care of his body in the other ways. Right. And, and you bring up such a good point, right? We're, we're such a visual society and we take a look at someone and almost instantly, and we, we do this, whether it's a conscious or conscious level, you know, size them up to determine, you know, what we think about them and their, you know, and their overall, overall health. And we tend to, to feel, um, you know, if you ask people, what's the ideal physique for men, people will say it's extremely, you know, extremely lean and almost hypermuscular. And for women, it, it, it's a lean and toned physique. And, you know, for somebody, for example, to have the six pack, six pack abs, does that does not necessarily equate with, with, with being healthy. It means that you're extremely lean, potentially maybe too, you know, mm -hmm. too lean to get to that, to get, to get to that point. So I think people really need to take a look at what their, you know, overall long-term, you know, long-term health goals are. Is it to be healthy in the long-term or to have this like really oftentimes an unrealistic, you know, physique in the present? Sure. And to bring it sort of full circle to tie this happiness stuff together, you know, you, there's only so much bandwidth that one has. So if you're that person who's working on your six pack, that means you're putting a lot of effort in to get there. So do you have those social connections? Are you sleeping? Are you journaling? Are you meditating? Probably not, right? It's very, really difficult unless you're maybe a, a single, very uh, rich male or female on your own. But if you, if, you, if you have kids, if you have family, if you have other obligations, it's, an, it's really difficult to have everything, right? You have to, you have to put a few eggs in all the baskets to make sure that you're happy. And I think that's, uh, that's something that people don't really think about. Yeah, you bring up an excellent point, you know, with, with what are we going to spend our time on? And, uh, you know, everyone says, you know, I'm so busy and I just don't have the time for certain things. And what I tell people is, well, combine together, right? So we, we need to be connected with people. So why not, you know, meet your friends and instead of going for a coffee, why don't you go for a walk? with them. And I do this, you know, when I used to be in the office a lot, I would actually keep a pair of running shoes underneath my desk. And when somebody would come in and want to meet with me, whether it was a student or, or a colleague, I'd be like, well, let's go for a walk. You know, we live in Florida, the campus is beautiful and let, let's walk. And I would just put on my running shoes. And honestly, the sole fact of doing that, the meetings tend to be shorter, which, which is good from, from that time standpoint. But then not only that, but I was getting outside and getting a little bit of, little bit of activity as well. So I tell people, you know, try to combine then and be creative because most people say well I just don't have the time for boom boom or boom and I'm like well you know what then let's com let's combine things together and then you'll begin to realize that you do have the time yeah well where there's a will there's a way you can have it stacked like you said if you're having your coffee in the morning and you usually just stare in a space well if you wanted to learn how to speak Spanish have your coffee in the morning and you know download an app and learn how to speak Spanish if you're a a mom who works full-time and you have a kid and you come home at the end of the day and you're like I want to spend more time with my kid but I also want to work out well Put your kid in a stroller where the kid's facing you and go on a really fast stroller walk and interact with your child as you're, as you're on the stroller. There, there are ways to do it if you really want to get creative, but sometimes you have to hire a professional or read or talk to somebody like Heather in order to know what is there because it, you know some people are just naive. They don't know. It's not that they're trying to avoid these things. They really just don't know how to do them. 
Right, right. And it's having those conversations and, you know, listening to podcasts like what you have, because you've got, you know, an incredible amount of information with the experts that you bring on. And it's so helpful, you know, you know, and I, I mean, I, I do this all the time. I listen to podcasts when I'm out, for example, walking, walking our dog. And then this way, I feel like I'm doing two things at once and I'm learning something or I'll even put my earbuds in it and call somebody when I'm out, you know, out walking as well. If you can't physically connect with the person, then why not call them? And as opposed to sitting on your couch, go out for a walk while you're talking to them on your phone. Heather, this has been fantastic information. Can you give my audience and listeners some insights into where they can find you personally, whether that is through social media, a website, reach out to you directly with questions, uh, hire you, any of the above? Yeah, please do. I'm on uh, LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook right now as well. You can go to my website and contact me there and email me. And my website is wellnessdiscoverylabs.com. Heather, thank you so much for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform. And feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.